Welcome to the Manity First Podcast. I am Chris Ryan along with Peter Evers. And we're going to do our Ask the CEO segment, but a little bit different on this week's edition of the podcast. The question just be coming from me. They're going to be focused upon Bamsey and our services out in the communities across the area. And uh, P- Peter Evers, the CEO of Bamsey, has been out to a number of the different uh, houses and uh, different entities that Bamsey operates in the communities. Good morning, Peter. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Good to see you. Um, so, actually, let's start with the, the Falmouth Road Race, which you uh, <laughs> ran along with uh, four of uh, your friends here at uh, Bamsey. What was that like? Well, it was the first time that I've ever run it, Chris, and um, I'm, and you were very uh, kindly on the course taking some pictures, so uh, thank you for giving up your uh, Sunday morning to do that. Um, uh, it was a wonderful course, absolutely beautiful. Um, I, there were parts on the course where you round corners and you're looking at the ocean, and uh, and it was a very hot day, which I think if you were standing watching, you'd appreciate. Not so much if you were running in it because it was very hot. Um, but um, uh, you know, we we had a great day. All all five of us finished and um, raised, I think, around six six or seven thousand dollars for Bamsey which was great and uh, hopefully we'll be doing it again next year there were a number of fun outfits one woman had a shirt on that said worst parade ever (laughs) (laughs) that one that one was funny because but the dynamic of the um the road race or the marathon is just so remarkable the amount of volunteers that helped to make things happen I was standing the water station at the three and a half mile mark and you know the kids and everybody out there trying to get water to people they, they had folks out there with shovels getting the cups yeah. off the the course and you know the people that are out there to cheer they're playing music from the houses um this year i don't know if they had it before but they had the, uh, everybody's names on the bibs so they could say good job peter yeah. uh or whoever else you know was running by and I thought that just, you know, people coming together for community event, it made me think a lot about, you know, what we had been missing for the last couple of uh, years. And the fact that all these people were out there together, um, rooting on their their community. Um, and so I thought it was pretty special looking at it from, from that context. And, you know, that's the type of thing that, you know, folks took for granted probably for for years. And then they're back there. Um, you know, this year in, you know, full numbers. Uh, and it, it felt kind of special to be a part of that. It really did. Um, that sense of community. You know, and the other thing is that there are an awful lot of people running for different charities. So I was, I spent a lot of time thinking, oh, those people are Dana-Farber. Those people are from, uh, actually, the Home for Little Wonders where I used to work. Uh, and that sense of community spirit and that um you know, uh, willingness to, uh, you know, train. And I mean, it was one of those races that you did have to train for because if if not, the, those hills can be a little bit um, daunting. But I do agree, having people around you, cheering you on, calling your name gives you an extra spring in your step. And it was just nice to be part of something that was so uh, fun. And people with the hoses that were spraying the water thank you to them so much because it was just such a treat to be sprayed with water in the face <laughs> as we went along the course and it's interesting too and you'd watch the the different levels of runners and you start with the elite runners and they come through basically just sprinting through the entire seven miles and most of them will forego like getting any water um they're just focused on you know getting to the 
to the next uh, – to get into the finish line basically. And some will take water and just throw it upon themselves because they don't want to do anything to damage their time. Then everybody else comes mm-hmm. along and they're like taking three things of water, <laughs> stopping at the porta potty, just putting water on their head. <laughs> like you can just see the, the differences in priorities yeah. where for some folks it was, you know, I want to finish in the best possible time. I'm going to take the, the perfect routes. I'm going to have everything com- planned out. And then there's others who are like, I'm just looking to survive this race. That's right. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> there's thousands of others in that same boat. Yeah, there was plenty of water tipped on my head. <laughs> so uh, discussing some of the things taking place here with uh, Bamsey, you've made it a priority to get out more um, into the houses and listen to what folks are saying, what they're feeling, um, and what their lives uh, – also get a feel for what their lives are looking like at that point. What have you found? Yeah, I mean it's great. I mean I, obviously this is something – I haven't been able to do um, with COVID and everything. So it's been, this year has been really wonderful. Um, Most weeks um, I'm out at a uh, cluster of houses, um, you know, so actually tomorrow I'm in Worcester and I'm going to visit the Dayhabs, the ABI and the the Dayhab, which I'm very much looking forward to. Um, It is really wonderful to sit down with people and just chat about what uh, their work means to them. Um, and affirm what they mean to Bamsey and sort of engage them in a conversation about how we're doing as an organization and how people feel connected to the organization. I strongly believe that people tend to stay with organizations when they have an affinity with what the organization is doing. What I find, Chris, is that people are incredibly attached passionately and compassionately attached to the people that they serve. Um, that is the gold in this organization. Um, you can tell those connections when you're in the homes. You can tell how much people care about each other in those homes. And, and there is nothing more invigorating, I think, for an administrator like me who is removed from that to be involved in that and spend some time with people. Um, you know, and as we've said on this show before, part of this communication plan for the organization is that we've surveyed people and we said, what are the things that you're looking for in the organization that can make you feel more attached to the organization? Then get out to the programs, you know, do the walk, uh, ask people, um, you know, what their what their reflections are on the big issues that came up, which we know are pay. We know their communications. We know they are layers of uh, management and leadership. Uh, and we know it's the relationship that people have with the direct supervisors. Those are the things that are coming out of our surveys. Um, and people are uh, – the great thing about it is people feel – some people, and we haven't – this isn't across the board, but some people feel very comfortable speaking about what is on their mind and what and how we should improve uh, the organization. And it comes often down to communication. I'll give you a good example um, it is very difficult for somebody who is on the floor. They come in for their seven to three shift, um, and the expectation is that people will read their emails. Well, okay, there's one computer oftentimes in the uh, in the office. Uh, that's probably been used by an administrator. When are those people going to get time to read their emails? It's not easy. <clears throat> so the challenge for us is not to keep saying why don't you read your email because we know why it is how do we come up with other ways that we can communicate directly with people so in a way that they that is easier for them we're hearing that people like to get blast uh, text for instance and and and, and messages uh, through their phones but we're also hearing and this is the big thing 
that information is best received when it's face to face, you know, and that goes back to the other piece that we need to be able to give one-on-one time to everybody in this organization as much as we possibly can. We're actually thinking um, we're going to change the policy around uh, supervision or one-on-ones or whatever we want to call it, but people need FaceTime with their supervisors because if they don't, they don't feel connected to the organization. And that FaceTime should uh, include a lot of the information that people need to know about the organization and the direction that we're going in so that if we have a strategic plan, Everybody in the agency can be connected to it by a network of other human beings passing on and conveying information and being able to talk to people about, well, what do you think about that? And that's where we get the real good information about how well we run as an organization is saying, how does it feel to you wherever you are in the organization? Are you getting that information? More importantly, are you able to push back? You know, in our listening sessions, for instance, are you able to push back and say, why are you doing this? So that we have a forum for a debate about things so that people don't feel, well, these decisions have been made by some, you know, amorphous mass in the organization. You know, they really, people need to feel as if they're connected to that. I think you make a number of of good points, and you know the first I would assume um, the first step to solving many of these problems is to knowing that they exist and um, you know, being out there because it seems as though there is a centralized entity, but very much each individual home or program is one to itself, and in visiting some of the programs in the past it's very often seems like there's a limitation of the amount of people that one person may work with. They may go and be a direct care provider in a home, and be, maybe they'll see two or three other people, including their supervisor, period. Mm-hmm. And they, I would assume, at times feel disconnected from any sort of larger uh, decision-making process. And if there's an issue with you know, a supervisor, what's the appropriate you know, pathway for them to follow because you know I know from both from a management and a, a worker perspective you know at times it can be very difficult when there is no real outside entity you just kind of go through your and fight through your issues or you'll quit and so yeah. um there has to be you know, I would assume some sort of level of support that exists from within the organization for the workers to feel as though they are being um, listened to and that there is some outlet if there is an issue with communication with their direct supervisor. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a balance. Um, but but people should always feel like they, they, need, they can be heard in an organization. If they're not heard by their supervisor, they can absolutely feel, you know, um, speak to the the their next supervisor in line that's you know a that's a fairly normal process um, but it really is about making sure that all of our leaders all of our managers are capable of the um, of the you know of communicating with people on a very human to human basis um, you know their work is really hard chris you've been out there you've seen uh, that working with some of our persons served is 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 a real challenge because of the disabilities that they have. 
And nobody should ever feel that they're out there alone mm-hmm. or dealing with this. And perspectives are different from people. You can get two reasonable people who totally disagree over one issue, and that's okay. I mean, that's how we work. That's, that's, that's humanity, right? Um, and as, if people feel that they've had that – somebody once said to me, and it was an issue over pay, um, and, it, and it resulted in the pay not changing for this individual, but they said – I'm not happy with the outcome, but I'm happy with the process that happened because you've because everybody around me has worked with me to explain the process, and and that's the best that we can do. Sometimes, obviously, we can't fix everything, but being able to listen, have have the humility to listen to somebody, uh, and empathy, and and have and be affirming in terms of what people's struggles are, what their difficulties are, um, is really important because these, these are real. You know, there are people who, uh, in our workforce who struggle from day to day. You know, inflation is at record levels since the 1970s, the 1980s. It seems like thing, you know, uh, the cost of goods and services are, are rocketing, although hopefully uh, gas prices are coming down a little bit now. You know, we talk about the grand bargain and putting pay and, and raising pay without the funds to, to do that. We we needed to do that, but we're a year on now, and a lot of things have happened in terms of our standard of living, and we have to be able to listen to people's stories about that and do everything we can through advocacy and sort of rattling some of those cages at the state house to say, you know, you need to stand up and make sure that people these essential workers that we have celebrated for the last two and a half years are being celebrated in the right way, which is a you know a reasonable rate of pay. Yeah, I th- you addressed this to some degree, but I think one of the disconnects that sometimes occurs is people feel that being listened to is equated to um, getting the um, outcome that they want in a, in a specific issue, where it's like, okay, um, I told you what I feel about this and what needs to change, and nothing happened, so therefore I wasn't I wasn't mm-hmm. listened to. Mm-hmm. How do you create a process, and you kind of referenced this a little bit, where a person feels that they are listened to um, but they also kind of understand that that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to do what you want. Yeah. Well, I think it's you have to be honest with people, and you have to say, look, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily the solution to your problem as you see it, but I will work with you, you know, to get a resolution, and it might not be what you want, but I guarantee that I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you've been heard, uh, and that there is, you know, one of the things in our professional conduct says um, that. You know, I will do my best to answer every question, and when I can't, I'll find the right person who does. And and I think that's a really important part of our professional conduct because we are a group of 2,000 people who have unique skill sets um, in HR, in IT, uh, and making sure that we connect people to the right people um, is important. And we may not, you know, <clears throat> it's a large organization that has a lot of, policies and procedures and we have to um, maintain those one of the things that I hear a lot Chris is that people say in fact it was a member of staff's 20th anniversary with the organization I was speaking to him on Friday and it was really eye-opening you know because he said you know it seems to me that I'm at doing this job I've been doing it for so long and then somebody comes in and they're earning the same amount of money as I am after 20 years it doesn't seem fair mm-hmm. he's right and that's why we're we're uh, adjusting that with a with our longevity payments which we're putting into place in the next couple of months um 
you know, it is difficult sometimes when we get the same rate uh, from the state. But we have to do something about recognizing people's loyalty. This organization runs on the loyalty and the goodwill of the people that work here. There's no question about that. And we should be rewarding that by being able to listen to them, to hear them, to make the changes necessary that make this place a place where people want to be. And I think we're doing a good job with that, but there's always much more that we can do. And the listening and the action are the two things that will help with that. Yeah, I had this conversation um, earlier today with somebody about essential workers and that essential workers we're always kind of leaning upon them to make sacrifices. And we're talking specifically about teachers and the mm-hmm. te- teacher shortage and uh, difficulty finding bus drivers and um, you know, teaching assistants as well. And you know, we're always kind of relying on them to sacrifice in order to make things work. And there is a great level of sacrifice we get from nurses and from uh, care providers who you know, want to make a difference. And to them, the paycheck is not everything. However, you know, in an environment where costs are rising and you're making sacrifices in regard to your work, people are feeling like they're not getting, you know, a uh, a great deal out mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. In that, oh, look what I've done. I've tried mm-hmm. to do something to help others, and I'm sad and frustrated and depressed about the fact that, you know, it's difficult for me to make my mortgage mm-hmm. payment or mm-hmm. to make the rent. And have I done something wrong in my life? So how do you, as a organization such as this, where um, you are reliant largely on individuals who are going to make a little bit of a sacrifice, how difficult is it, given the changing di- economic dynamics, to try to retain individuals mm-hmm. who may be frustrated and look out and say, well, you know, this uh, – you know, for-profit entity is offering this amount of money for this position. The work might seem a little bit easier, might not be as fulfilling. How do you compete with that? Yeah. <clears throat> well, you can compete. Now, you compete in a different arena, I think, because uh, obviously there are not uh, – there's a limit to what we can do in terms of competing with pay. But I think it goes back to the proposition that I talk about a lot. What is the employee-employer proposition that we have? Um, we need to concentrate that on that a lot. So I think of – you know, the old adage that, um, you know, a, a target, and I don't want to pick on target, I'm sure they're very nice, but, you know, what is what kind of uh, investments are target making with their employees who they want to work on the front till, um, uh, cashier, when they're paying, you know, a certain amount of money versus what are we doing? And our, our proposition is a little bit different. First of all, we're mission-driven. We're in mission. And that is attractive to a lot of people, this idea of, of, of working in a system with people less well-off than ourselves and, and contributing to society, making that contribution. But it's also saying when you come through the door at this organization, we care about your past, your present, and your future. The past because you're bringing to this work your expertise, your energy, your desire uh, to improve people's lives. You're present because we want you to be as skilled and capable of doing this job as possible, which will help you in your career. And your future, which is that career, let us make that investment in your career as you make an investment in BAMSI and the people that we work with. And then you begin to think about employment slightly differently. And then you add on to those things, all of those things that make people feel as if they belong. Uh, and you know, some people say, oh, you know, 
sweatshirts. But, you know, we give sweatshirts to people. I see those sweatshirts. There's a sense of belonging. People like that sort of thing, but some people don't. But then we try and make other small uh, acknowledgments of, <clears throat> of, of thanks to people on a regular basis. Um, somebody in this organization says that you should send a thank you note to somebody every week. I totally agree with that. You know, just recognize people's, um, as you said before, Chris, sacrifices in doing this work and make them feel part of an organization that cares about them so that they can properly care for the people um, that we're caring for. And, you know, that kind of connectivity, I think, is what persuade people that there's more to this job than merely the fact that the, uh, of a paycheck. But don't disregard for a moment the importance of pay, especially in an environment like this when you're right. Every week people are saying, wow. That's another ten dollars on my grocery bill, and I'm using, you know, I'm not buy, I'm buying the specials, right. and, and I'm buying, and I'm desperately swimming against the tide. Um, you know, now I'm going to have to travel into work with my partner because I can't afford to, you know, two cars or something like that. It's it, people are making sacrifices all the time. You're absolutely right. The final thing, you know, in looking at this and trying to find, you know, a solution for entities like Bamsey or a school district, um, you know, as, as an example, um, do, do you have to get creative in how you go about trying to raise funds to address some of the, the shortcomings in regard to um, the ability to, to pay? I mean, and, and do times like this kind of make you need to move in that direction? I believe that all nonprofits should have a very healthy philanthropy division. And, you know, there's an old adage that, it, you know, it's nice to rely on um, state and federal funds because they're consistent, but they're consistently lower and at a cost that is not, that doesn't allow you to develop a margin. And in nonprofits, the developing of a margin isn't paying shareholders it's putting that money straight back into the workforce into our facilities to make sure that the people that we serve are in the best environments um, so if once you decide that you can stop whining about it and you can start thinking well how else can we generate revenue through maybe different business lines like uh, a pharmacy which is going to be opening within the next couple of months that pharmacy is is the the reason for that is to generate other ways that income come into the into the organization again not to pay shareholders but to create that margin that allows us to reinvest and it's philanthropy you know what um what are we doing to generate interest in our community about this organization so people feel there's a wow factor to bamsey and that they want to be part of that people who volunteer give um you know people who give continue to give as long as we um, nurture those relationships and uh, we're in the process of doing that and making sure that we have signature events that not only bring in uh, money but people know about and people go, oh yeah that's bamsey Bamsey's just re redesigned its logo and, and rebranded in a way that it accesses and uh, uh, focuses a really important piece of that. All of those things fit together in this little puzzle of making us a preferred employer that people want to come and work for. Peter, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. This has been the Humanity First podcast for Bamsey.